less regulation will lead to more innovation for everyone, from entrepreneurs to startups, Facebook, Google. These were all startups in the past, and they all succeeded without heavy government regulation. To me, the way innovation occurs on the broadband network and on the internet is for Comcast and Verizon and AT&T to open up their pipes as broadly as possible to get rid of that channelized delivery model. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Craig Williams coming to you from Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court. My co-host, Bob Ambrosi, is off today. And before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Clio, an online practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com. And in recent news, President Obama has announced his support of net neutrality, and FCC Chairman Tom Wheeler has talked about the possibility of new regulations. And as a result, the political parties have been relaying their positions on the issue. Proponents say that it will ensure a level playing field for participation on the Internet, while opponents, on the other hand, say differently. But what's specifically meant by net neutrality? How will this affect our country? And why are so many people diametrically opposed to the same issue? Well, here to discuss this topic, we'd like to welcome Chris Fidelli. He is a senior attorney with Judicial Watch, where he has litigated multiple cases in state and federal courts concerning election integrity, ballot initiatives and referendums, and government transparency. Prior to joining Judicial Watch, Chris was a senior associate at Davis Wright Tremaine in Washington, D.C., where he represented clients in communications law litigation and regulatory proceedings. In 2009, the ABA's communications lawyer published Chris's article criticizing the Federal Communications Commission for its net neutrality regulations, which has since been overturned twice by the D.C. Circuit. Welcome, Chris Fidelli. Thank you, Craig. And in addition, we have joining us today Professor Jonathan Askin. Jonathan is a professor at Brooklyn Law School, where he teaches technology, telecommunications, and entrepreneurial law and policy. He's also the founder of the Brooklyn Law Incubator and Policy Clinic, which represents Internet, new media, communications, and other tech entrepreneurs in business development, policy advocacy, and law reform. Finally, and perhaps most relevant to today's discussion, Jonathan chaired the Internet Governance Working Group for the Obama 08 presidential campaign. Welcome, Professor Jonathan Askin. Thanks for having me. Well, there are many different definitions for net neutrality on the Internet, including this one from Wikipedia. Net neutrality is the principle that Internet service providers and governments should treat all data on the Internet equally, not discriminating or charging differently by user, content, site, platform, application, type of attached equipment, or mode of communication. So that kind of leads to the first question we want to ask our guests. What's your definition of net neutrality? And without really getting into the whys, where do you stand on the issue? So, Chris, let's start with you. Thank you. I think the definition you just read is a fair one. It could be given a different answer. And the answer, the way I would define it to illustrate the problems with it would be this. Uh, Net neutrality is the replacement of free market commerce between communications network operators and Internet companies 
and replacing it with federal command and control economics. Uh, I'm against that. Okay. And Jonathan, what's your definition of net neutrality and where do you stand? Well, I essentially liken net neutrality to the corollary concept of user empowerment. To me, net neutrality is probably the least intrusive, simplest way to ensure that the user can control their internet experience to the fullest extent possible without being subject to an intermediating gatekeeper, which would then be empowered to determine the user's experience online. Okay, well, let's flip the question on its head. What is the opposite? of net neutrality. What type of regulation are we looking at, Jonathan? Well, I look at net neutrality as a, frankly, a blended compromise solution. There are, I think, two scenarios, neither one, I think, which is particularly tenable for the maximum benefit of the user experience online. One would be a free-for-all. One would be a scenario in which we allowed the internet access providers to self-determine who had access to what and at what prices they'd have access to particular content. So that's to say Verizon or Comcast and the other uh, limited number of internet access companies could say to a user, you can reach this site, but you can't reach that site. You can use this piece of equipment, but you can't use that piece of equipment. You can uh, view this content, but you can't use this other content. That's one extreme in my mind. And that's a, a scenario in which there is no light government oversight over the pipes we use to access the internet. The other is essentially, you know, government fiat. That's a system of essentially government control over every aspect of the online experience, and I think that's also untenable. So to me, net neutrality is the simplest, lightest way to ensure that there is maximum competition online while ensuring that the essential pipes that are used to access the internet are not uh, controlled by a single or two-party entity. Chris, what is not net neutrality? What's a non-neutral net look like? This is a great question, and the answer is a non-net neutral net uh, looks exactly like the internet we all use today. If you want to order a movie by Netflix, you you know press play, you order it, and in a second you're watching it, and it's going really really fast. And if you want to look at something else, you go and look at that. Um, you check whatever you want on the internet. Everything works really well. And people in America pay a lot for their internet service because it's such a tremendously valuable product. And the way we got here is without net neutrality. The government does not have regulations limiting the kind of arrangements that a network operator like Verizon or like Comcast can reach with with a company like Netflix to make sure that both Verizon and Netflix can both give their customers what they want, which is the kind of information, the kind of entertainment the kind of uh, internet experience that they want, they both have an incentive to do that and to reach reasonable commercial arrangements between each other uh, to accomplish that. There's no need for an additional layer of intrusive government regulations on top of that. So, so I would say if you like the internet the way it's working, you don't want more regulations. Well, Jonathan, what, what does government regulation look like? What shuts down what, I mean, do we have, an, uh, does the United States have a neutral net right now? Can we... Are there any restrictions on what we can see and what we can't see? Well, we've got a scenario in which I think the Internet access providers are waiting to see to what extent they can maximize their control over the user experience. We've seen hints and rumblings of it over the years, and each time one of the Internet access providers has tried to control the user's experience or preclude 
a um, content provider from reaching a user, the FCC has tried to slap them down. We saw this in the Comcast BitTorrent scenario. There was evidence, Comcast denied it, but there was uh, 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 proof that Comcast was in fact throttling BitTorrent speeds to users. And why would Comcast do that? Comcast would do that because Comcast's primary revenue stream at the time came from its video offerings. If users could just get a broadband pipe and self-determine what they do with that broadband pipe, it would mean that Comcast's video offerings would be cannibalized by potential rival video offerings. If you can get your video offerings through BitTorrent or Netflix, those are rivals to Comcast's video delivery revenue stream. And that's something if Comcast was uh, unencumbered and had no regulatory oversight, would preclude people from doing. They would preclude them from reaching Netflix. They would preclude them from reaching BitTorrent. They would preclude them from reaching any content that either was not Comcast-owned or Comcast partnered or a company to which Comcast was allowed to extract uh, uh, excessive revenue in order for that content provider to reach the user. That's the scenario that we would exist under if we do not have these light net neutrality concepts baked into our federal regulatory system. Who is it, Chris, that's trying to regulate the internet and what are they trying to do to it? Uh, well, it's uh, obviously it's, it's a federal initiative. It's um, strongly supported by the Obama administration. Um, they'd like uh, a heavier government hand in regulating uh, transactions, essentially, um, supervising, managing, you know, what kind of arrangements companies work out. Um, you know, like, like the example we've been hearing is Netflix and, and Verizon or Amazon Video and AT&T. Looking at those deals that they strike, or Google and Comcast, for that matter, the people who are providing the service over the Internet and the people who are delivering it to people's homes. Uh, the, the federal government would like a you know a, a heavier role in saying who can you know what kind of deals can be can be reached between these companies. Who's pushing for this? You know, to some extent, consumers are. Um, however, it, it, I think in a lot of cases that's either for, um, for 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 ideological reasons or uh, for a lack of understanding. I think some of the biggest drivers of the debates tend to be these companies like Netflix, for example. Netflix has been very active. Um, they would love to have more government involvement because it would mean cheaper access for Netflix. Uh, essentially, it is you know kind of very very common uh, company behavior. Whenever there's a threat of government regulation, they'd love for the government to regulate things in a way that's more favorable to their business. And Netflix has been very active in seeking that. And uh, that that's that's perfectly rational behavior. It's not always good for markets. It's not always good for the entire. Uh, internet market, but it might be good for Netflix if they got some additional regulations. So companies like that in that position who would like uh, perhaps larger profit margins, I think, are, are driving a lot of the debate. And Jonathan, isn't internet regulation largely regulated locally by counties and cities through the television offerings that are given? And how does the Obama administration propose to move that regulation from a local level to a federal level? Well, that's already been determined by the federal courts. Internet access and internet services traverse interstate boundaries. And the Eighth Circuit has said very clearly that these are interstate in nature and subject to federal preemption. So the internet, as we know it, is almost exclusively regulated by the federal government. Now, some of the pipes, some of the rights-of-ways, some of the piece parts of the network are regulated both by the states, municipalities, and by the federal government. And frankly, that's the piece we're talking about. We've got a veritable infinite supply of competitive 
internet companies out there that would love to get the eyeballs of the users. What we've got, though, is in the last mile, one, maybe two, arguably three in very rare urban circumstances, alternatives to reach the internet. So if you put this in context, what we're really talking about is the lightest regulatory touch where all we're saying is that those pipes, those last mile access pipes are we impose minimal uh, non-discrimination principles on those pipes so that users have access to the infinite uh, supply of content and applications that the Internet has to offer. Chris, do you think that the federal government should be regulating the Internet or should it be limited to local municipalities and counties and perhaps some state government? I will say that I don't think local regulation, to the extent that it's existed in the, you know, the television markets or in uh, the, tele, you know, the, the traditional telephone markets, I don't think that's very helpful um, for the internet. As far as federal regulation goes, I don't think there's anything gonna, that's going to be helpful uh, for consumers if the federal government steps in to impose any more heavy-handed regulations uh, than, it, than it has or any, any more powers, to assume any more powers than it already has. Um, Jonathan, a, men- a second ago, mentioned the importance of keeping the internet um, open so that everybody can access whatever information they want. If that's not something that the federal government needs to step in and ensure that the network operators, the Verizons, the AT&Ts are doing, because they're doing that already. They have no reason to want to not do that, except for, you know, the, the there are hypothetical scenarios, which Jonathan mentioned, which I'll get to in a second. But essentially, the company's motivation is to give their customers what they want. And every customer, there's no customer who wants to be limited in what they can access on the Internet. If it exists, they want it. They're going to pay $150, $100, whatever they're paying to Comcast for internet service a month. They want to get everything. If they don't, they generally you know, complain very loudly, and that's when the government gets most interested. Uh, the, the one example that Jonathan gave earlier of where this might happen, I want to address it briefly because it's an important point, is this idea that you know, if Comcast were to un- unveil its own online streaming video service that competes with Netflix, um, or if Comcast were to enter into some kind of deal with Amazon where they have an exclusive arrangement to provide video to Comcast Internet services, and then they start charging, you know, raising the prices on Netflix or stopping Netflix from transmitting altogether. This is, this is the nightmare scenario that, that net neutrality proponents like to bring up. And it, let me put it to you this way. First of all, I don't think it's very likely, but even if it were, you don't need new regulations to deal with that situation. I think the D.C. Circuit was pretty clear uh, in the last time it looked at it that the FCC could step in and address that kind of situation, that nightmare scenario where Comcast was using its network to seriously leverage competitors out of the way. Yes, that I don't think anybody really thinks it's controversial that the FCC could step in in that situation. I think that's really unlikely to happen, and I don't think anything remotely close to that has ever happened uh, for reasons I can go into later, the BitTorrent case wasn't really similar to that, but uh, that, that would be the point on that issue. Well, Jonathan, why should the Internet be regulated at all? Why, shouldn't, why don't we just treat the Internet like we do brick-and-mortar commerce? There's limited amount of regulation over that, and the commerce on the Internet is not much different. Well, that's sort of the charade. We are not talking about regulating the Internet. We're talking about regulating that last-mile pipe to the Internet. And to the, to, if you t- look, about, look back at the 120 years of common carrier history, all we've said is that those that offer those essential facilities to consumers have to 
ensure that those services are offered on non-discriminatory rates, terms, and conditions. So all we're saying is that the access provider cannot discriminate either against users or against uh, internet companies that want to reach those users. Now, the, uh, so, so for, this is why I keep coming back to the fact that something akin to net neutrality is monumentally lighter than almost any other form of regulation that would probably ensue if we don't invoke these principles. At the end of the day, whether it's five years down the line, 10 years down the line, there is going to be one hell of an antitrust suit against the internet access providers. In a world where you've got, at best, a cable pipe and a phone pipe to the end user, that is insufficient competition and I think the Justice Department is going to revisit the concept of, uh, you know, is this uh, unnecessary control over users? Uh, I think part of the problem is that we've allowed those that control the pipes to also control their own content and access to others' content. To the extent that we've vertically integrated Comcast, Time Warner, to the extent that uh, 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 Comcast owns NBC Universal, they have absolute uh, incentive, business incentive, to discriminate in favor of NBC Universal content as opposed to CBS, Fox, a content that's not owned by them. We've seen these battles already. We saw a huge battle in New York City between Time Warner and Fox. Time Warner not uh, suggesting that it wasn't going to allow Fox content to run over the Time Warner network. These are battles that we'll see more and more of to the extent that we've got the pipe controller controlling content vertically uh, integrated into that pipe. Well, gentlemen, before we move on to our next segment, we're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, with most cloud computing providers, moving your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And even if you have an existing legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O dot com. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams, and with us today is Chris Fidelli from Judicial Watch and Professor Jonathan Askin from Brooklyn Law School. Before we took our break, we were talking about a version of net neutrality. And Chris, I want to toss this question to you. Obviously, as Jonathan says, the last mile of the pipe is heavily regulated, and you have limited choices of who you can pick. For example, where I am, I can only get uh, Verizon. I can't get another, excuse me, charter cable. I can't get another service unless I choose a, a lesser speed pipe. But is there a place that consumers can go to plug into the Internet and have a neutral net? Or are they restricted to simply what is offered in their local area where their home or apartment is located? Here's what I would say. I think um, I think in general, you know, the, the internet you have, you know, you have wireless internet, uh, you have different kinds of landline internet uh, coming to your house. You generally have a few choices 
uh, but not unlimited choices when it comes to Internet providers. I think the point that Jonathan uh, wants to make when he talks about the, the limits on you know, the entry to the market to building you know, large telecommunications networks is that there's always been uh, some regulation uh, to prevent market failures because where you have these large entities which uh, control a lot, of the, a lot of the market, if two of them stop doing business with each other, then all of a sudden uh, one set of customers can no longer send emails to customers of another company or one set of customers can no longer watch uh, CBS because CBS got into a price dispute with Time Warner Cable as has happened in uh, New York City before as I think uh, Jonathan mentioned. The reason why the FCC exists is to prevent those kind of failures, is to step in um, and make sure that when that happens um, they can do something. And I don't think anybody really questions when the, that when mar the markets fail, the FCC can act. Uh, they have the ability to act to get the sides to the negotiating table and make sure that they uh, work out a, a reasonable deal that's going to benefit all customers. It's really not much different than when federal arbitrators come in uh, to negotiate a labor strike between uh, the baseball players union and uh, the national uh, and, the, uh, and, the, and, the, and the league. So that when you talk about that kind of thing, I mean, that, that's covered by existing communications law. It's covered by antitrust law. There's always that backstop if, uh, if markets really start to fail and, you know, you know companies won't deal with each other. Um, the, the point about further regulation, and this is why I think it's harmful when Jonathan starts talking about opposing additional rules that don't exist now on that last mile in infrastructure, even on the backbone, uh, the, the, the previous mile infrastructure, is that what, what can happen when you disrupt the market that's working really well with additional regulations is you, you start to kill the commercial deals that are being worked out for everyone's benefit between the companies who deliver the traffic and the companies that provide the traffic. And when that happens, you could wind up with a very a slower internet experience for everyone. And that's the danger here with some of the uh, the more drastic calls for regulation. Jonathan, what about the the concept of having the government provide an internet to its citizens and then having private uh, offerings of the internet available? I mean, I, I've seen a talk on TED that proposed that light bulbs can be converted to uh, wireless transmitters and receivers fairly inexpensively, and then we can the government can use the electrical grid to connect people to the internet. Well, I have grave concerns about even the most well-intentioned governments thinking that they can create an alternative broadband pipe for certain users. Uh, the real problem, I think, would happen perhaps not once that network was built, but five or ten years down the line when a new government comes in or the funding isn't available. And we've created this digital divide and a bifurcated internet where the haves have private service offerings and the have-nots, uh, underserved communities, have this government internet that is existing at, say, 2014 speeds with 2014 capabilities, and the private sector has moved well beyond that to 2025 capabilities, speeds, and offerings, which is why I come back to, I don't think the government should be necessarily need to be a competitor in this space, but the government needs to say that if you uh, are taking advantage of the uh, U.S. domestic resource, uh, you know, our spectrum resources or our wireline resources, you get to make a lot of great money. You get to make a wonderful business out of it, but make sure you don't choke and contaminate the user's experience. Frankly, over the past 
12 years, I guess, we've seen the FCC desperately try to unscramble the egg, uh, an egg which it essentially destroyed back around 2002-2004 when it said that these broadband pipes were not telecom services subject to FCC regulation. I don't believe, I don't know that the FCC has any regulatory authority over these broadband pipes because it's abdicated that responsibility with a series of orders uh, uh, going back 10 years. The real problem is now the FCC has tried to regulate those essential services that it has historically uh, uh, regulated for the past 80 years. When you think about, uh, so, so when the FCC said, uh, Fios, you are no longer a telecom service, you're an information service, not subject to uh, our telecom regulation. All of a sudden the FCC recognized, well, wait a second. When people make phone calls over those broadband networks, they've got to have emergency response capabilities. We've got to make sure there's access to persons for lawful, uh, lawful intercept by, uh, by government entities. We've got to make sure that this abides by Americans with Disability Act obligations. We've got, we've got to make sure that there are universal service obligations so even uh, the poorest and high-cost areas get access to our essential telecommunications network. So what did the FCC do? The FCC, through a series of convoluted, work, convoluted workarounds, said, well, we're not going to regulate the broadband pipe, but you know what? We're going to regulate the application that rides on that pipe. So it, we live in this absurd world where, say, Skype gets regulated like a telephone company. Skype, which has no control over a pipe, uh, has no direct access to the consumer but for the fact that it gets, to, uh, gets access through the broadband pipe, is regulated like a telephone company. And Fios, Verizon's Fios network, is not regulated like a telephone company. That's the absurdity. Uh, a world where the pipe, the essential facility, the one component that actually connects to the person house, person's house is not regulated, and we had to do this convoluted workaround where we're regulating uh, any application that, reach, that can reach the consumer in a way that the FCC really arguably does not have jurisdiction. So why not regulate that one, that second pipe to the home and let the rest of the internet ride uh, unregulated? Chris, what do you think about taking the last mile and government regulating and saying, yeah, the last mile is open. It's open to anybody who wants to connect to it, including individuals. And all you have to do is just get this device and connect to it, and there's no regulation. What about that? Yeah, uh, well, here's, here's why I wouldn't support that regulation is because openness on the last mile and uh, you know, lack of discrimination, you know, kind of sending traffic that the customers request on the last mile, that's what we have right now already. And we have it because it's what customers want. Um, there's no reason to put regulations in place uh, mandating that it always be exactly the way it is now because five years from now, uh, new products may come onto the Internet market that we haven't even imagined yet. Customer, customers may want different things. They may, may want their Internet to deliver you know, the next big application, I don't know, hologram, virtual reality to their living room. And that may take up even more bandwidth, and customers may need a prioritization of that traffic. I don't know. And it should be free. It should be able to evolve without another round of government consideration and rulemakings and all the, you know, the lobbyists from the various companies lining up to you know, carve, uh, carve the Internet up in a way that benefits their end of the business more than anyone else's. You know, we should let it, let it continue to evolve as a free market unless there's a failure. Uh, and I don't see any market failures right now. I do. I don't mean to interrupt, Craig, but I want to know how we get to that scenario in a world in which Comcast essentially has given us 500 channels of services they've deemed worthy for us and have given us uh, a few megahertz of spectrum to reach the open Internet. To me, the way innovation occurs 
on the broadband network and on the internet is for Comcast and Verizon and AT&T to open up their pipes as broadly as possible to get rid of that channelized delivery model. Uh, uh, we may think 500 channels is a lot of channels, but it's nothing compared to the virtual infinite supply of channels on the open internet. And if we had many, many more megahertz, if we took away the megahertz of spectrum that are used to deliver those 500 channels and made it just basically an open, naked broadband pipe to the internet, there is no end to the amount of innovation we would see on those essential pipes. I think the, just a very quick rejoinder, uh, the, only, the only part I would object is if you want to do that by, with net neutrality rules, if you want to prevent a company like you know, Comcast from making an arrangement, from making a commercially reasonable deal with a company like Netflix to make sure their movies get to customers, what you're going to wind up with is Netflix traffic that's treated just like everything else on the internet. Customers order their Netflix movie and it takes them an hour to download uh, because, they, because no commercial you know, prioritization deal can be made. That's not, what, that's not good for customers. It's not, it's not what people who use the internet want. Um, it's a it's a it's a it's a problem. It would it would harm the internet and, and move it backward. I think that's a red a complete red herring argument to say you're always going to be allowed. There's going to be recognition that you're allowed to cheat like-minded services. Similarly, there are different uh, uh, requirements for delivering voice from video, from data. Some require uh, more guarantee of no latency. Some require higher quality. The, the issue, I think, is treating like-minded services the same, whether it's Netflix-delivered content or HBO-delivered content, whether it's Skype-delivered voice or Fios-delivered voice. That, those are, th that's the apples-to-apples -apples comparison. Treat all voice services the same. Treat all data services the same. Treat all video services the same. Not to say treat all video services like voice services. So I think the easiest scenario, if, if, the, if the access providers want to get rid of any conception of net neutrality or any conception of uh, common carrier oversight, I think the real answer is uh, separation of the pipe from the vertically offered services. So treat it more like it is, in fact, electric utility. You know, uh, your utility company, your electric utility company doesn't say you can use a GE refrigerator and you can't use a Panasonic refrigerator. But, but, but it, it, it's almost impossible. It, we've essentially created a world where the fox is determining the rules of the chicken coop, where Comcast can say, these are the vertically integrated contents you can receive, and these are the, con the con if, if Comcast only owned the pipe and didn't own any content, then I would see how it would create a level playing field for all potential internet applications and all potential internet content uh, uh, providers. You know, in the same sense that all of the ISPs and the uh, companies that provide the services directly to the consumer connect to the internet, which is merely a connection, a group of interconnected computers, wouldn't a true neutral net allow a consumer to connect to that same internet without AT&T, Comcast, Charter, Verizon, or anybody in between? Well, I'm not sure I understand. Are you suggesting that no one owns that pipe? Well, no one does own the pipe because the Internet is all just a series of interconnected computers. So if they're just a series of interconnected computers, wouldn't a truly neutral Internet allow an individual consumer to connect to that same Internet without any regulation any throttling or any restrictions. So you're talking about the perfect peer-to-peer -peer world where essentially we're all existing on the ether with no intermediaries. Which is what we think we have now, but we don't. Uh, we have it up until the point of that last mile. 
We have it almost perfectly in the backbone. We're you know almost there in the middle mile, but it's that last mile where we do not have that perfect peer-to-peer communications capability. And why is that? Because we have one or two pipes that have exclusive access to that consumer. So a world you're, you're envisioning is a world where that last mile pipe is open to the world. Right. Isn't that a truly neutral internet? I concur in spades. Chris? Yeah, I think I think this. If I if I understand your idea correctly, it's it's one that I think that's been proposed before. It's uh, I think Google proposed it as um, the idea that everyone, if you have a house, then part of your when you buy a house, part of what you buy is a hundred miles or you know not a hundred miles, whatever two miles of a fiber act fiber optic cable. Right along with water rights and electricity and telephone. Right, exactly. That was the that was the idea that was proposed. Um, you know, a problem with it is you know finding somebody to to maintain that wire to fix it every time there's a there's a hurricane. Well, there's there's plenty of electricians, there's plenty of plumbers, there's plenty of telephone repairmen out there. And true, and if you want to do do it that way, if you want to make the internet basically make the wires dumb, yeah. There's been and let me give you an example. There's been a lot of talk uh, in the past five or ten years about making the electron electricity grid, the uh, the electric grid, smarter, more intelligent able to do things it's never done before. And that's a, that's a lot of capital investment involved. What we're, what we're seeing with the internet is the discussion of making the internet uh, network dumb, making it just a basic stupid pipe that you can send water through or you could send bits of data. It doesn't really matter. Um, if you do that, you're going to see about as much innovation and improvement in how fast your Netflix movies arrive as you've seen innovation and improvement in how your water gets into your house or how much electricity you can use. It's really... You're going to freeze innovation. You're going to kill any kind of market. You, you'll get a, a definitely a completely neutral net. It'll be completely neutral. There'll be no preferences at all, no priorities, uh, but also not a very good product if what you want is to get what you want really fast and really well uh, with an intelligent network. Gentlemen, we just about reached the end of our program. It's time to wrap up with your final thoughts and your contact information. So, Jonathan, let's start with you. Well, I am Jonathan Askin at uh, Brooklyn Law School. Uh, My students and I, in fact, give free legal support for innovative internet-based startups. And the only way that succeeds is in a world where they are not controlled by gatekeepers and intermediaries. So for us, it all comes down to uh, give us the pipe and we will change the world without micromanaging what we can and cannot do with that pipe and without extracting uh, excessive revenue for access to that pipe. So a world in which I, I love the world you're envisioning where essentially we are all points on a, a robust open internet. Uh, give me that world and there is no end to the innovation. Chris? The point I would make is um, if you want to know whether a, a network with more regulation or less regulation will lead to more innovation for everyone from entrepreneurs to startups uh you know facebook you know google these were all startups in the past year and they all succeeded without heavy government regulation they succeeded in this era where the internet is very lightly regulated if at all by the federal government uh so that that's how the internet works without regulation if you want to see what a communications network uh, looks like with heavy government regulation. Look at the AT&T network from about 1930 uh, to about you know the time it was uh, broken up and deregulated, you know, the 80s or the early 90s, depending on how you look at it. You basically you're going to see zero regulation. Imagine, think of all the innovations you saw in you saw in telephone service uh, from the 1930s to the uh, late 80s, almost nothing. And then think of all the innovations on the internet network you've seen 
uh, from the 90s and you know the 2000s. It's, it's just mind-boggling. That's the way you preserve uh, innovation and, and vibrancy is you, you, lead, you let the government stay hands-off. Um, my name is Chris Fidelli. I'm at Judicial Watch in uh, Washington, D.C. Well, thank you very much. And now we've come to the point in our show where we have 30 seconds to share our closing thoughts before we get cut off by the buzzer. Since Bob's not here today, I'll do it. Generally speaking, uh, to me, net neutrality means a neutral net. And I believe that I should have access to anything that's on the Internet at the speeds that are available technologically to get it. Whether that's offered to me by the government or by somebody else that I need to pay, that's fine. But I think I ought to be able to plug into the Internet with the interconnected computers without anybody getting in my way. And this is Craig Williams. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast, covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.